0: Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butter in Washington. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The U.S. announces $9 million in military support to Somalia.
1: The recent United States commitment to provide Additional military support to the Somali National Army is a sign of confidence in the
0: progress uh, that the current offensive against Al-Shabaab is making. Gabon's president appoints first ever female vice president. Amnesty International calls on Zimbabwe's government to investigate alleged political violence. Sudan's military leader reiterates the pledge to return the country to civilian rule. A court in Kenya has charged four suspects over the murder of a prominent LGBTQ activist. Nigerian voters are urged not to elect leaders based on religion and ethnicity as the country prepares for next month's presidential election.
2: Nigerians should not vote for anyone on the basis of religion or ethnicity. Nigerians should put the interest and unity of the country above that of regional or religious conversation
0: and a look at financing for African female entrepreneurs those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa The U.S. announced Sunday that it is given $9 million in new military aid to help Somalia's ongoing campaign against Al-Shabaab militants. It is the first such direct military support since U.S. forces returned to Somalia and President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed announced an all-out war against the militants. Ahmed Mohammed speaks to analysts about the significance of the aid in this report from Mogadishu.
3: The U.S. embassy in Mogadishu handed over military equipment to the government Sunday. According to a tweet from the embassy, the weapons and vehicles will support the campaign by the Somali National Army to liberate communities from al-Shabaab control. Abdulkader Mohammed is Somalia's defense minister. Mohammed said the military donation from the U.S. was a show of confidence and testimony that the Somali military can be trusted to manage the weapons without failing it into the wrong hands. He added that the weapons will play an important role in fighting the khawarij. Khawarij is a derogatory term which Somali officials use to describe as Shabab. Matt Priden, a security expert And the founder of Sahan Research, a think tank covering the Horn of Africa, says the new contribution is an endorsement of the efforts by the Mahmoud administration to fight the militant group. The recent United States commitment
1: to provide additional military support to the Somali National Army is a sign of confidence. It's not a huge amount of money, but it is a sign of confidence in the progress uh, that the current offensive against al-Shabaab is making in the central regions of Somalia.
3: Somali forces have been engaged in an offensive alongside local clan militias against al-Shabaab since July. The pro-government forces have captured many villages and towns, mostly in the Hirshabelle state. However, the militants continue to mount counterattacks against the government forces and the civilian targets. Abd Aziz Isaac is a security expert with Hamid bin Khalifa Civilization Center he told VOA the new military package will be critical for the Somali army which has a limited arsenal
0: Isaac said
3: the military aid will help Somalia in the war against al he added that the main challenge facing the Somali military was that it possessed weapons of the same caliber as that of Al shabaab making it difficult to win the war against the group. The U.S. is among the largest contributors of support to the Somali National Army, especially for its command wing, the Danab Special Forces, which is trained for close-range fighting with Al shabaab in urban areas. Ahmed Mohammed for VOA News. Somalia.
0: The political pressure group concerned Nigeria for the protection of human rights and rule of law is calling on prospective voters not to elect leaders based on religion and ethnicity. It also warns clerics that it is illegal to campaign for presidential and other contestants on religious and ethnic grounds. The remarks come after civil society groups condemned a cleverest call for Muslims to vote for Asiwaju Bola Ahmed Tinubu and his vice presidential candidate Kashim Shitema both Muslims, in the coming February 25th elections. Some pastors have also come under criticism for calling on their parishioners to vote for Christian candidates. Deji Adeyanju is the convener for the Concerned Nigeria for the Protection of Human Rights and the Rule of Law. He spoke with VOA's Peter Clotty about concerns surrounding campaigns based on religion and ethnicity. The call
2: by the Islamic clerk is unpro- anti and, and anti-unity of the different states, you know, in the country. And I also believe that the call is akin to that of uh, some pastors in the country who have been endorsing the candidate and saying that he is the will of God. Uh, so, simplicity, there's no difference between the Islamic cleric and those pastors who have been endorsing the candidate and saying that he's the will of God. So, people, Nigerians, should not vote for. Anyone with the basis of religion or ethnicity, Nigerians should put the interest and unity of the country above that of uh, regional or religious connotation.
1: But you some Nigerians are saying that a Muslim-Muslim ticket with regards to the ruling party presidential candidate shows that whether people like it or not, it's right in their face. They will vote based on religious grounds and other grounds. So the grounds is already set because when a choice of a Muslim-Muslim ticket was made, a lot of Nigerians raised eyebrows. So what the cleric was saying was nothing to undermine anything at all. How do you respond to that?
2: It's very simple. Our laws forbids people to campaign on the basis or support candidates on the basis of religion or ethnicity. You know, uh, Nigeria is a multi-diverse ethnic-religious country. And so people must respect other people's religious information and views. Uh, it is even shameful for candidates to begin to pitch religious leaders, go around churches campaigning, uh, just like the B had done by saying that churches should take their country. Those are t- grounds for disqualification. Really, you know, uh, even the candidates of the, the ruling APC, you know, they have been guilty of some of these things, Majority of them, are the ones that are pitching uh, these religious leaders to fund the members of religious discord in the country. You know, because just like in the Europeans, we say the witch cried in, in the midnight yesterday, and the child died this morning. Who does not know that the witch was the one who was responsible for the death of the child? So it's unfortunate that this is how low our politicians are willing to go, and um, citizens must rise above these kind of divisions. Uh, in lines of religion and ethnic politics, you know, and put patriotism and unity and commonality of purpose above that of selfish aspiration of politicians. And in general, citizens must also know that politicians only remember religious leaders and traditional politicians when elections are around the corner. Uh, How many of them have visited religious homes all these years? Just now that elections are around the corner and you see them, gallivanting all over the place. So this is one uh, point that citizens must note. Deji Adeyanju
0: is the campaigner for the Concern Nigeria for the Protection of Human Rights and the Rule of Law. He spoke with viewers Peter Clotty. Amnesty International has called for an independent and impartial investigation into an alleged support on individuals believed to be supporters of the opposition Citizens Coalition for Change. According to Amnesty, the video of the alleged assault has gone viral. It shows a group of people believed to be supporters of Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF, kicking and beating older people of a rural village, a charge denied by the party. Its provincial chairperson and housing minister, Daniel Ngawi, accused Citizens Coalition for Change of stage managing the incident to tarnish ZANU-PF's reputation. Robert Shivambu is media manager for Amnesty International responsible for the southern African region. He tells me that such attacks are intended to harass and intimidate members of the political opposition in the months leading up to Zimbabwe's general election later this year.
4: What we have seen uh, is a video that has gone viral coming from Zimbabwe, shot in Marondera, in Murewa, in Mashonaland in Zimbabwe. So the video depicts a group of uh, older persons who are suddenly being questioned by a group of young people who are carrying sticks. They are questioning them about a political meeting that they've attended in the area which was for the Opposition Citizens Coalition for Change. So they are been questioned about their participation in that particular meeting by seemingly ruling XANOPF members who are carrying sticks. And then they are later beaten, you can see them being beaten by these young people. There's an older man who is being uh, punished with sticks by those group of young men. And you can see him finally falling down because He's in a lot of pain as they continue to beat him up. You might know the history of political violence in Zimbabwe that we have seen over the years, especially around election time. You will remember what we saw in 2008 during the post-election violence where more than 200 people were killed. And that's what worries us as Amnesty International. Robert, let me
0: ask you then. So as you describe the video, you say in your statement that... uh, The Zimbabwe authorities must take all necessary steps to prevent acts of politically motivated violence. Is it certain, according to the video, that the attackers were supporters of the ruling ZANU-PF? Yeah,
4: well, according to the information that we have, and this is what's coming from the country, the the story has been reported, and, and that's what a lot of people are saying on the ground. And the people that we spoke to are basically confirming that that those uh, people who are intimidating that group of older persons are members of the opposition of the ruling Zanu PF. And this is why we are saying, uh, as Amnesty International, that this callous and politically motivated attack against older people who had simply attended a gathering for a political opposition party is outrageous. There is no place for such in any country. So we are saying that such cruel acts of violence, which have repeatedly marred Zimbabwe's political landscape in the past, especially around election season, gravely threaten the rights to freedom of expression, association, and peaceful assembly in the near future. These attacks are clearly intended to harass and intimidate members of political opposition in the months leading up to Zimbabwe's upcoming election, and could have a chilling effect Uh, Throughout the country. So, we are calling on Zimbabwean authorities to take all necessary steps to prevent acts of politically motivated violence and refrain from issuing inflammatory statements that could incite similar attacks or deter people from expressing support to political parties of their choice. The Zimbabwean authorities must also urgently launch a thorough, independent, and impartial investigation into these assaults and ensure that the perpetrators are brought to justice in fair trials. They must also fully respect and protect rights to freedom of expression, association, and assembly in the lead up to the elections, as well as during and after the upcoming elections.
0: So when you talk about an independent and impartial investigation, what do you envision? How independent should this be?
4: Zimbabwe has got police who are responsible for documenting, investigating, and making sure that cases see their day in court where... Human rights have been violated. The good thing is that the police have acknowledged that they are aware of this. We saw a statement earlier today confirming that they are investigating this. So we are saying that the investigation should be impartial and it should be thorough as well as independent.
0: Robert Shivambu is media manager of Amnesty International, responsible for the Southern Africa region. You are speaking with us from Cape Town, South Africa. Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barton, Washington. Today is Tuesday, January 10th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sudan's ruling military has vowed the army will come under civilian authority as the two sides hammer out a final agreement on a two-year transition on government before elections. Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Three days of talks between military and
1: civilian leaders continued Monday with the aim of reaching a final deal on governing during a two-year transition to elections. The spokesman for the civilian site, Khalid Omar Yusuf, addressed the media Monday at a press conference in Khartoum broadcast by the state-run Sudan News Agency. He says this is an opportunity for all Sudanese to engage and cooperate with the regional and international community to achieve the high national interest of the country. At a launch of the final phase of the political process Sunday, Sudan's army chief, General Abdul-Fattah al-Burhan, repeated the military's vow to place itself under a civilian government. His speech was also broadcast by Sudan's state news agency. He says... It is the military's conviction that we will soon see a true civilian government established in Sudan that will fulfill the aspirations and ambitions of the Sudanese people towards a free, just and peaceful state. The army chief gave no details on when the military will step aside, but said it would keep its word to leave politics he also applauded efforts by regional and international partners to help end Sudan's political crisis. Al-Burhan overthrew a transitional civilian government led by former Prime Minister Abdul Hamdok in October 2021, citing lack of attention to alleged threats. The coup came just weeks before the military was to hand power to civilian authorities, sparking international condemnation and withdrawal of foreign aid. Sudan's pro-democracy groups have staged near weekly protests ever since, demanding the military step down. Security forces have frequently clashed with the protesters, leaving scores dead, almost all of them protesters. The African Union, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, and the UN, known as the Trilateral Mechanism, have been mediating in Sudan with the aim of breaking the deadlock. The talks are expected to include reforming Sudan's security forces. Michael
0: Latid for VAWA News, Khartoum, Sudan. Gabonese President Ali Bongo Odimba on Monday appointed Rose Christian Osuka Raponda, the first-ever female vice president of the country. She is coming from the post of prime minister, where she was also named the first-ever woman to hold that position in 2020. Her appointment comes as Gabon holds presidential election later this year. Mark Ona Isengi is the president of Turn the Page International, a pro-democracy group. He tells me the Gabonese people are indifferent to Raponda's appointment as vice president because of her poor record as prime minister.
5: Rose Christian Osuka Raponda is the prime minister of Gabon since 15 July 2020, making her the first former prime minister of the country. She has previously served as mayor of Libreville and later as the country's defense minister from February uh, 29, 19 to 2020.
0: What do you think is the reaction of the Gabonese people to her appointment as vice president?
5: The Gabonese people are indifferent to his appointment as vice president, given his uh, disastrous record as a prime minister.
0: Gabon is to have presidential election later this year, Uh, Do you think Raponda's appointment will have any impact on the
5: election? His appointment will have uh, no influence on the forthcoming presidential election because his political uh, weight is not uh, visible on the ground in his uh, political uh, constituency. uh, He benefits from this promotion because he is... Uh, proximity uh, to uh, First Lady Sylvia Bogbo.
0: Why do you think the Gabonese people are disappointed with her or were disappointed with her
5: when she was Prime Minister? The Gabonese people are not satisfied with uh, her passage to the premature because she has not managed to bring any solution to uh, the everyday problems, uh, experiences by Gabonese uh, people such as uh, expenses living, health, education, she lacked uh, charisma.
0: That was Mark Ona Isengi, president of Turn the Page International, a Gabonese pro democracy group. He was speaking with us from the capital, Libreville. A court in Kenya has charged four suspects over the murder of prominent LGBTQ activist Edwin Chiloba whose mutilated body was found on a roadside last week stuffed in a metal trunk. Kenyan police say they are investigating a possible love triangle as motive for the killing. Rice activists suspect the killing was one in a series of hate crimes in Kenya where homosexuality is illegal. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi.
6: Among the five suspects arraigned in court in Eldoret Monday, was Jackton Odyambu, a freelance photographer said to be a longtime friend of the 25 year old Chiloba, who was a leading activist in Kenya's LGBTQ community. Police say they are investigating a possible love triangle as motive for the killing. The arraignment comes just a day after police arrested three more suspects for their alleged role in disposing of the victim's remains. Chiloba's family told VOA they are satisfied with the investigation process so far, even as they demand justice for their kin. Gaudencia Chirchir is Chiloba's cousin and the family spokesperson. We
3: want the culprits, huh? what the murderers of my brother to be charged according to the Ganyan law.
6: Chiloba's body was discovered about 40 kilometres outside the Rift Valley town of Eldoret, after it was reported dumped from a moving car. The killing has drawn widespread condemnation, including from the UN Human Rights Chief Volker Tak and the African Union's Human Rights Commissioner Solomon Ayele Daso. Rights activists say members of the LGBTQ community are increasingly being targeted with discrimination and attacks. Fahe Kerubo is an LGBTQ campaigner at the Reproductive Health Network in Kenya.
3: The incidence of Aden uh, is not a past. This comes after Sheila Lumumba has been killed and other that I can remember. And uh, we've also seen a lot of increased homophobia, especially online. We've seen a lot of increased uh, violations of incidences among the queer community or that is directed towards the LGBTQ community.
6: Under a British colonial era law, homosexuality is illegal in Kenya. Juma Majanga for VOA News, Nairobi.
0: Sub-Saharan Africa has the world's highest rate of women entrepreneurship. And that's according to the 2021 Mastercard Index of Women Entrepreneurs. But studies also show that women face widespread discrimination in business and battle to access the finance they need to grow their enterprises. Pamela Cook-Hamilton is the Executive Director of the International Trade Center. She says while these barriers need to be eliminated, they are aware women can succeed and benefit from new business and trade opportunities on the continent. She spoke to Heidi Adams, host of VOA Straight Talk Africa here in Washington.
7: The first advantage I would say, and this has occurred actually on turbocharge in the digital world, COVID has literally transformed how trade happens. It's almost tripled the amount of digital trade. So digitalization actually is now the greatest advantage that women traders have. One, because it's online and therefore it lowers their costs, their overhead costs, costs for physical space, for storage. They can literally operate from anywhere. On the disadvantaged side, globally, what we found is, one, access to finance. It is a recurring theme and it's something that we have to address. So what we do is we try to work with women to help them access finance, to put in place the kinds of mechanisms. One thing we found is most collateral that's requested is 125% of their business. It's 125%. Nobody can afford that. The second thing is that they also are unable to meet some of the requirements for paperwork because so many of them are informal and they're small and they're not in the industries that require that kind of paperwork. So we want to try to also see how we can work with them to build up their capacity to get financing. What is your advice to women about what they can do in their businesses to increase their chances of yeah. gaining access to finance and investment? And here I mean advice that women can immediately Just apply to their work. right now. <laughs> right. Okay, so let me just give you a a kind of outline of what we've done in the area of access to finance. Just in 2019, we launched a She Trades Invest Care Fund with Bamboo Capital. And the idea was, how do we link um, the the lack of access to finance to capital um, providers and, and kind of create a space where women can get access to whether it's venture capital or other forms of capital... We also work with women to prepare them to make the pitch. That was
0: Pamela Cook-Hamilton from the International Trade Center speaking with viewers Heidi Adams. And you can watch the full interview on this week's episode of Straight Talk Africa. And that's it for this Tuesday, January 10th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Button, in Washington.